Okay, we are now recording, so you can do your thing. Hello, this is A.K. Turner, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. It's important stuff, because everybody's vroom is interrupted by a veer. That was really well done. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Everybody's vroom is in- interrupted by a veer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it is. It is. Whether you you want you want it to be or not. You're right. It's coming. Yeah. You're right. All right, cool. Well, let's start the show. I'm going to hit stop. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Briny, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. It's going great on this Saturday morning. Yay. Did I say your name right, Jen Briny? You did. Yay. I'm salty. Yay, you're salty. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to talk to you again because we hung out in 2014 in muggy as hell Dallas and it got all rainy and icky and we were hanging out in a hotel that was like... <laughs> A block away from the event, right? Of podcast <laughs> yes, movement. But strangely without s- sidewalks in between. <laughs> right. So weird. And then it got, uh, yeah, it was ugly. So we shared yeah. like an Uber or a Lyft or something. Yes, we did. And yeah. uh, and then we hung out in a giant mall, <laughs> which is we where did. that was. Yeah. 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 It was fun. Good, yeah, it was very good fun. Good times. And uh, we went and I think I sat next to you on the bus on the way to the big party. Where I got a little drunk. And then on the way home, I hung out with two other folks and sang uh, drunken Linda Ronstadt songs. Oh, fun. It was I fun. I think <laughs> I was drunk on that bus okay. already. Oh, um, on the way. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't remember where that party was. It was at one of those big sort of like rock and roll things. It was like House of Blues. Oh, or that was like the that. House of Blues. Yeah. That's right. It's I a do fun remember. party. It's a fun party. Yeah, I went to a happy hour in the mall before that. <laughs> I had a good little buzz on before I even got there. Good for you. Good for you. I'm notorious for doing that. <laughs> okay, so Jen Briney, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you and your podcast and what you got going on now. You've got this show called Congressional Dish, where you dish on Congress, I guess, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. So talk a little bit about that. What have, what have you got going on over there? Well, um, Congressional Dish, I started four years ago because I just noticed that I didn't know anything about Congress. And right, right. Okay. The, like I, a lot like, of people really in nothing. this country, right. Like most people. And You're what right. I realized over the course of the Bush administration, because I was really angry at the Bush administration specifically for starting that war. And okay. so um, I can get I just, behind that anger. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was um, it was not cool. And Dude. I started looking into the system and how you know we could stop things like this. And that's when I kind of discovered like, oh, we have this whole other co-equal branch of government that we actually have power over that I know nothing about. And so I just started kind of paying attention to Congress. And long story short, I wanted to just learn about it and 
and tell people what was going on there because it was it was fascinating the stuff that I was finding that wasn't being covered not only not on the news but not even on the internet I couldn't find blog posts about the things I was finding I couldn't find anything at all really? and so and, and yeah you're and researching like well, here's specifically like what really gave me the idea. There was a congressman from Oklahoma. His name's Tom Cole, still okay. in Congress. Okay. And um, he, it was an energy and water bill. And I was just kind of watching it on C-SPAN and he gets up there. You must and have been really bored, but okay. Oh, you were I interested. I was cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> you were so, interested in this energy and water bill. You're like, I'm going to clean and watch this boring thing on C-SPAN. Okay. Well, crazy me. I like clean water. <laughs> so oh, I just got to. Well, good for you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this sounds interesting enough, like energy and water. And I'm, my husband's a solar power engineer. So I was like, let's just oh, see what okay. this law is going to be. So right. okay. I'm watching this on C-SPAN. This dude gets up and slips an amendment successfully into this bill that protects secret campaign contributions wow. and bragged about it. And so I'm bragged sitting there. About it. <laughs> yeah. He, he told put me it on tape. what he did. Right. And that was the most shocking part. I'm like, did you just say that? Like, no, like there's no way you just say it, said that. So the next day I looked in the congressional record, which gives you transcripts of everything that happened the prior day. And sure enough, he did say exactly what I thought he did. And then I looked in the bill itself and found the amendment. I went, oh my God, wow. this is crazy. So then I watched the news that night and I was like, they've got to be talking about this. Like, of course they weren't. No. And then that's when I hit the internet and couldn't find an article, couldn't find a blog post, couldn't find anything at all anywhere about this happening and right. that's when I went how often does this happen every day and it, oh, well <laughs> you know <laughs> well that's, maybe not every day that would be giving them too much credit <laughs> no, no you are giving them the appropriate amount of credit it okay. really is when they're in session there yeah. is things going on there every single day it right. might not be something that you know, nefarious in a bill, but it's a fascinating hearing. It's, there's right. so much that goes on in Congress every day. And it is, um, it's the struggle theater, of my though, life, right? how right? much gets by me. Oh, right. Of course. So, um, yeah, yeah. The, the problem is there's too much information mm. and I'm still kind of the you're only, only one person. person. Yes. Yeah. And I don't really have a, I don't have a research team. It's just me. And so I, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like the first year or the first Congress, I should say it was two years. I read every bill that passed the house of representatives. Cause I didn't know anything. So I was like, all right, I'll just do that. And I'll learn as I go. And I did. And so wow. this, this Congress, the last two years has been me really figuring out how to do congressional dish. And then I'm, I'm really excited to press the restart button in January. Cause that's my, my third Congress. And I think I'm, um, I think this is when I'm really going to hit my stride. I've got some really good ideas and, um, so you have don't have to read everything anymore. You kind of learned what's, what's important and what's fluff. Well, it's, or you're scamming, it, scamming. everything right. that was the big problem. They had this reputation of a do nothing Congress. So I assumed, you know, if, if these guys can read every bill, then I should be able to, but they don't read every bill. No. And, um, and so that being just the reality of the situation, it just became impossible. So I had to filter right. and, um, and also I had no life. It's a lot of reading. Yeah. If I'm going to yeah. do this for a career, I need to have some kind of work-life balance, which is still a challenge. But I think, I think I'm getting closer to figuring out how to do that. I think I'm going to be doing, um, 
reading the important stuff and then doing a lot of hearings because the okay. hearings are just, that's when you find out what's really going on, especially mm. the ones that aren't on C-SPAN, which is a whole treasure trove of information that I didn't even know was there until like last year. But there's a ton of stuff that C-SPAN doesn't even air. Wow. So, and I know how to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Okay. So that's cool. And I love it. It sounds like you're enjoying yourself. So that's key. That's important to me. Um, but let's go back in time. And, and talk about little Jen and, and what, what were you like, say, like, what's your earliest memory as a kid? I love this question. Earliest memory as a kid, I think I was about five years old. Okay. I was living in Denver, Colorado, and there was a tornado Ooh, that scary. ripped up a bunch of trees, probably about like half a mile down. Wow. Um, yeah, but there, what was crazy about it is that my mom was home with me and my little sister and this guy like knocked on the door, someone that we didn't know. And he was knocking, he was like, let me in, let me in. Like there's a tornado coming and my mom wouldn't let him in. Oh. And today it's a decision that she still is really torn on, but she was like, it was me and my two little girls. And here's this strange man. Yeah. Um, and she, she didn't let him in. And so you know, that's, that's a story that kind of like stuck with the family, but then we went and checked out all the trees and everything was fine. Our, our neighborhood didn't get hit and I, I'm pretty sure the man didn't die since right, our right. neighborhood survived. But, um, but I remember that like it was yesterday. So that was my first, my first memory. Wow. That's yeah. intense. It is. And I've had an obsession with weather ever since. That's probably why you remember <laughs> uh -huh. like a little post traumatic stress there. Yikes. Oh, totally. But uh, it wasn't scary for me. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. That's, so. that's still the truth for me. I mean, it's not scary unless something serious happens. Yeah. Then, and it, I then it becomes it scary. Could. Right. Yeah. It's exciting yeah. until somebody gets hurt. Then you're like, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah. But from my experience, it was a bunch of very, very big trees that just got ripped out of the ground. And it was like, wow, whatever wow. did this is super powerful and I want to see it, you know? We all have that same sick, well, I can't say we all, but I certainly do <laughs> have that yeah. sort of like excitement, you know? That's why I've been living in California since 2003 ish, four ish, and I so miss thunderstorms. Yeah. <sighs> Man, those I are fun. I love them. I know. And I always liked getting like we were campers when I was a kid. So we would go out in the woods and camp. And then I was always like stomping around in the woods, you know, looking for ways to get in trouble and things like that. And occasionally you get caught in the rain, right? So then you would, we would seek shelter in these sort of like uh, pavilions, you know, where you have picnics and stuff. Yeah. That is just like the best place ever to hide out and watch the storm. <laughs> totally. Right? It's because yeah. it's like you're you're outside and you're not getting wet. <laughs> yeah. And you're relatively safe from the lightning. Like if you sit on the concrete in the middle, yeah, you're, you're, you're totally good cool. to go. You're totally yeah. cool. Yeah. And yeah. you're just waiting it out. Yeah. Totally. I yeah. love to be outside during storms. Me to too. To the point that like I'm pretty much guaranteed to die by getting struck by lightning because I'm so reckless about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. But I'm fine with it. Like, I have to go somehow, right? So I would so much rather it be something like that, like in the middle yes. of a cool storm than right. something boring than, well, like, when you, heart attack. When you, when you turn, like, 106, then just get a bunch of golf clubs and go down to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm just going to wait for the lightning to come. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good plan. I like it. All right. Okay. So fast forward a smidge and talk about Jen when you were in high school. What, what sort of girl were you? 
Well, Jen in high school had some, you know, it was a weird thing that happened to me. I actually went to two high schools. Okay. So, um, I had lived in Colorado when I was really little, but we moved to Irvine, California when Ooh. I was six. Nice yeah. I'm spot. an or- orange County girl. Yeah. And, um, back then Irvine wasn't, you know, the, the corporate megaplex it is now. It right, was okay. a small town. We had Farms orange trees stuff. all right. around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got chased by a farmer for stealing his oranges. Um, right. you know, it was that kind of, it, you like wouldn't know it experience. now, but right. Kind of. Um, we lived about a block away from where the orange tree started. Okay. So, um, but I had, I lived in the same small town until high school. I was always a nerd. And, um, and so when I got to high school, I was a nerdy fish in an even bigger pond. And the people that were nice to me were like the quote unquote bad kids, although they really weren't bad. Um, we just used to hang out under the bridge, like off of campus a little bit, which was allowed. Um, but my mom didn't like my friends. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> she found an empty pack of cigarettes, which was mine, mm-hmm. and a six-pack of beer, which I really was holding for a friend because I didn't like the taste of it. Okay. But she found that in my closet. <laughs> and her reaction to that four days into my sophomore year of high school was to yank me out of my high school wow. and put me in a private Catholic school about 15 miles away. Yikes. Uh-huh. With all and girls or something? No, no, no. It was just my mom was... Um, one of those like yeah. people that thought that she should be religious. Like I'm still not <laughs> sure she actually is, but it's from the time oh, I was a great. little kid, that's I so had to go put. to like CCD and learn yeah. about Jesus. And and that was the thing. That was a really hard thing for me because here I was, I was nerdy because I was a good student and I got reading awards at school, but then I would go to like Jesus class and they would put me against like I was the bad kid because I kept asking questions <laughs> and the people didn't like that because they like right. the creation story. I remember yeah. being like seven years old and being like, you just told me two stories, which one's true. They're like, well, you just have to believe. And I'm like, which one? And they thought I was being disrespectful, but I was like, no, I don't get it. And so they put my desk against the wall and wouldn't let me speak. Wow. So I've always had a Whoa. problem with religion because of that. You know, it was, Yikes. they definitely didn't approach it right with me. So that's when good, my mom though. for for seven year old. My goodness. Wow. That's yeah, a good I've, brain. Wow. I've amazing. always been skeptical and had a problem with authority. I was uh, not the easiest kid to raise. <laughs> That's amazing, though. I, I remember when I was, uh, you know, in Sunday school. Right. And it never even occurred to me. You know, really? I was just like totally drank the Kool-Aid. It wasn't mm-hmm. until like maybe like middle school, high school. When like some hippie teachers would say things like, hmm, maybe not everything people tell you is true. Yeah. And I'd be like, really? <laughs> you know, yeah. I was very upset about Santa Claus still, you know, that was then, you know. Yeah. The original lie. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's yeah. funny because like religion was like Santa Claus was one of the original lies. Yeah. Religion. I just kind of knew that I was being bullshitted the entire time. Right. And had to go because my mom kept saying I had to go. Right. And then when it came to like the country Thanksgiving, I'm still upset about because <laughs> I love Thanksgiving. And yeah. to find out that we actually slaughtered all the, the Indians, it's like, <gasps> what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I'm still so ma- So it's like uh, so yeah. many of these lies have right. built up to the point that like. I'm now this person that believes nothing. <laughs> See, now, I, you know? I, I've never had a problem with Thanksgiving because I always just assumed that that was like the honeymoon before the slaughter. Oh, it was. 
Like, it was like the honeymoon. It was like, look, these idiots want to feed us. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, we're people. Yeah. So yeah, mom takes me out of um, back to high school. Yeah. Mom takes me out of my school where I actually was doing just fine. Um, right. And but you're bad because you smoke and you hang out with people that drink beer. Understood. Yes. Yep. And instead of having, and I'm 14 years old, mm. you know, I had had one sip of beer and like I, amongst my friends, I was the one that would like watch you, everyone drink and like uh, babysit right, right. and they were fine with that role and I was fine one. with that role. Right, right. I was and no one gave a shit. Right. But instead of having a conversation with me, they brought me into this new high school. And yeah. so what was really hard is that everyone from my old high school and my new one assumed there had to be some kind of very crazy story because who gets yanked out of high school a week into the year? Right. So you know? get, now you get an even better reputation as a bad girl in the new uh, school. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So even more so in the, the old school. Like, right. Yeah. Wow. It was actually a bigger problem with the old school because now everybody there had known me since we were six years old. Damn. They don't believe the real story. Cause like who yeah. gets taken out of high school for that? Right. Um, so, and yeah, so I you've had got this a great origin story for your superhero-ness right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you really yeah. do. I, it's amazing how people get socialized, you know, and it's also mm -hmm. random and it just becomes you, you know? It was just something I had to deal with because I was still living in that town and the rumors right. were ridiculous. Like my favorite rumor is that um, a, I had a gun it, pulled on me. <laughs> well, it was it was crazy. It was a little like, blursy. It was it, a the whole thing was just uh, no, I, I don't cursed. know. No, it's just it's something that happened because w one of the repercussions of that is that I was being trained to be one of the volleyball stars in my first high school. So that whole summer before I got in trouble, I was practicing not only with the girls, but I was also staying in, in hitting with the boys on the higher net. Mm. Um, I was really devoted to it. And then getting yanked out of my high school like that, it just completely destroyed my high school career or my volleyball career. And that was never a factor in my mom's decision. Um, and so I'm still... I'm still curious what would have happened if I had gotten to stay. But in the new high school, it was a division one. Um, there were some <laughs> political stupid things that, you know, I just, I didn't end up playing on their team. And, um, and so, yeah, it just completely changed the course of my life. It felt completely out of my control. Mm. And, um, I'm, there's still some bitterness about it, but at the same time in the new school, I got a, a fresh start and, from that, I actually became, well, I don't, I hate to say this, but I was actually one of like the cool kids, right? which Ooh. gave me some confidence that I really needed. You had some in, badass cred behind you. Well, people were curious what the hell my story was, right. <laughs> you right. know, and I didn't want to talk about it because I mm. felt so lame and like I was so embarrassed. So that just kind of led, I think, to more of it where I was even more of a mystery. Secret squirrely new girl. I was just, I was the dorky kid in a new school. I only knew a few people that went there. One of them luckily was my best friend, but one of them was a girl I had known since I was six through church who wasn't particularly nice to me. Mm. Um, so it was like, I had so much anxiety in the way that I kind of dealt with that was, I don't know, just, just keeping my head down and, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. through that people, they were just nice to me there. Oh, and, um, cool. a lot of my old baggage didn't follow me there. So it ended up being good. Um, so yes, there were blessings that came out of it, but right. do I look back on it? And I'm like, that's the best thing ever happened no. to me. Like, no, it just right. completely changed the course of my life. Interesting. And, um, it also interjected religion into my everyday life, which 
I still kind of resent. Like my French <laughs> right. teacher was a nun. Yeah. And on my very first day, this was my very first class, a nun gave me a detention for rolling my eyes. That's so awesome. um, that That's first awesome. semester, I was on disciplinary probation. Um, <laughs> no free really thinking not, here. <laughs> yeah, like not really helping with my bad girl reputation there, but it was for stupid stuff. Like they said that I, I had roll. to wear socks and I would roll my eyes and it was like, oh, you want me to wear socks every day? Then I'm not wearing socks. And so it was just it. unnecessary poking on authority. Um, and I would, I would pay the, the price, you know, I sat in detention. I had detention friends. We, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it was, yeah. it was fine. You um, right. You did have a ride. Yeah, I was just, I wasn't following the rules just to not follow the rules. But at the same time, it was the one, I only broke the ones that I thought were stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) The ones that made sense to me, I was like, okay, I'll follow those. Yeah. And you were always a good student, it seems like. Always a good student, and I still consider myself a good kid. Like I, right. I made mistakes, obviously, but I was always trying to be respectful, and I, you know, I wasn't trying to be a rebel. It just kind of I got this reputation, and you had to live yeah. up to it. <laughs> um, no, you a know, little. okay, a little bit with my when I would go back to the old high school. So I would go back to parties with the people I grew up with. Yeah. And that's when I kind of felt like I had to live up to it. It was much more of a party school than my my private school was, basically because right. with the private school, we were from all over the county. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of driving involved. And um, But in you know Woodbridge, where I grew up, we can walk home. So they threw big parties. And so that's kind of where I really did do stupid things and make mistakes. But um, I feel like when I just had two completely separate lives in high school, to be honest, I had the old life and I had the new one and I don't really know how they, they mixed. Um, (laughs) It was, you probably need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do. We all do. This, this show is part therapy. So yeah. (laughs) Tell me what, how you feel about your mother. Um, Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) She did what she thought was best. And that's something I've also come to terms with. I was pissed about that for so many years, but I know she loves me more than anything. I know she thought that she was doing the right thing. I know she thought that introducing religion into my life was not introducing it, but like pushing it Mm. into my life was the right thing to do. She was wrong, but that's okay. You know, she's allowed to make a mistake as a parent too. And I turned out just fine. So I think she did a good job and I love her and I have no problems with my mom at all. That's awesome. Good for you. So you went to college somewhere. I did. Ironically, <laughs> I got to and choose my college somewhere. and I went to a religious college called Loyola Marymount um, up by that. LAX. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> LMU. Yep. Nice um, campus. Kind of out there, though. Well, that was that was part of the appeal. It was <laughs> I didn't pick it for the academic standards. I picked it because it was near the beach and okay. I got in. <laughs> and you got in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, At the time that I was picking colleges, I wasn't taking it all that seriously. I was just going to college because I was expected to go to college. It was the next thing to do. It was the next thing to do. I was um, unhappy in a lot of different ways, and I just wanted to move out of my parents' house. And so I picked the first college that let me in, and I went. It was really – I didn't think much more about it than that. Right. Um, Did you But it turned out – Oh, I had a very good time to the point that like, <laughs> I feel like I wasted a few years of college. Um, but that was the thing. Like I partied the entire first year, but I could still get A's. So, right. okay. Good for you. Um, yeah. I mean, it was fine, but everybody so it was did. Like, it was like the, your, the partying was the job. 
Mm-hmm. And then the college was like hobby-ish. The college was, I liked learning. That was never a problem for me. So it was like, I would do my schoolwork. It wasn't, it never even felt like a chore, but it was like, okay, like my reward for finishing this report is I get to go and get blasted tonight. So (laughs) (laughs) like that sounds great in the right order. I did. Yeah. I always got my work done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did have one semester where it was a little iffy, but, um, I ended up pulling off some, some miracles at the the last (laughs) minute. It was, I had a lot of those classes where it was like all about finals. And so, um, yeah, I, I got through that one, but, um, but really the life changing thing. And I, I'm lucky that I got this. Um, I had a a pretty tough breakup. Mm. And so to escape that depression, I ended up studying abroad in Germany in the spring of 2003. So this was my junior year. It was. um, I lived with a German family. They had three kids, ages five, three, and 10 months. And I just fell in love with this family. And so unlike most people that study abroad, I just immersed myself in Germany and German culture, like you know, uh, most people that do this study abroad program, they become like best friends with everyone that they they traveled with. That wasn't really me. I was kind of separate from the group. Um, but the timing of that, so I'm living with this German family, like really loving Europe and learning everything that I can. And that's when we started the war. Mm, 2003, and, uh, right. 2003, spring of 2003. So yeah. I was in England. Okay. So you saw it from abroad too. Yes. All right. So (laughs) you know that we were told different things over there. Oh, you know, man, that was that that whole era was weird for me. Mm -hmm. That was when it actually started like 9-11 for me. Okay. Because I spent my whole Air Force career around classified information. It was like because I was working in uh, intelligence, basically the military version of NSA. Right. Cool. It was kind of mostly boring, but because <laughs> I was an IT guy slash admin guy, very generalist, like admin personnel and computers. Okay. Okay. And I, most of the time I would, you know, you come in, I would go, Ooh, what are you guys doing? Is it cool? And they'd be like, no, it's boring. and there would be like a couple of dudes that were really fascinated in it but it was way too technical and over my head so i'd be like whatever give me you know what are you really doing they'd be like oh we're doing this i'm like that's boring so but then so i'm in that environment and in that environment there's all these like special terminals that access all these classified databases right that i could care less about up until 9-11 and mm. then 9-11 rolls around and I'm like, every day I'm like, hmm, I wonder what's going on in the world on the classified side, right? So yeah. I would just like, you know, take 5, 10, 20 minutes, maybe an hour or whatever, and just kind of Google around on classified internet. <laughs> <gasps> right. You see were what, living my dream. And see what's happening. And I, And then I would go out in the world and like forget about it. And then I would start having conversations with people and go, yeah, I can't do that anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it was like I'd watch news. I would read papers. I would, you know, there's the Internet. And then there's this classified crap in my head. And it's all the same thing. You know, essentially, there are no, you know, classification labels in my brain. I'd be like, where did I read that? I just have to stop doing that. I can't do that because. Oh, wow. Right. I'm going to talk about something and go to jail. Yeah. So I had to stop doing that. And I had no business doing it anyway. Um, it was just there. So I did. 
Um, I yeah. would, <laughs> which is why no one's giving me clearance. <laughs> well, I was authorized to, you know, yeah. I wasn't doing anything wrong or illegal or anything, but it was just, I realized it wasn't a good idea, you know, yeah. because then I, you know, it would like, I never talk about anything that I did that is like related to anything classified on this podcast because Whenever you get to that thing where you say, mm, yeah, I can't talk about that, it's just better not to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Don't accidentally let something slip. I get that. Yeah. 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 It's just better not. Because then you get to this point where you say, yeah, I can't talk about that anymore. And then, and then why did you bring it up? And I'm like, yeah, I know, because I'm stupid. <laughs> but in this case, it makes a fun story. It was just like, yeah, I read some stuff. It was classified. And then I'd go, you know. So is that what you were doing that. in England? Well, you know, I was attached to, uh, uh, you know, an intel unit in England, right? So, okay. you know, there that is. There's that terminal. I have a, I have an account. I can look up stuff. I can, you know, I can Google things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny because it was actually British intelligence that changed my life. Um, really? Okay. Because Do tell. In, yeah, in January 2003, you'll probably remember Bush got up there, gives a speech, says, um, I don't know if it was January, February, I don't know. But he gets up there and he says that Saddam Hussein is seeking uranium from Africa, right? The famous mm. 10. The yellow and cake or something like yes, that. Yes, or... the yellow cake uranium. <laughs> so um, I'm watching this with my German host mother, Elka, and we're watching on the local news and they go to commercial and they come back and the news is in German. And in German, they reported that there's intelligence out of England saying that this is bullshit. And so Elka tells me that. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. Go on with my life, right? Right. Um, of course it's bullshit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just, I was like, okay, like, it's just one other fact that goes in my brain in this crazy time where it's like, are we really starting a war right now? So it was right, one other right, piece right, of information right. just got put in there. And it was like, all right, we're going to store this we're somewhere. We're going to file that. That'll, that'll go in the file and under, hmm. Yeah, it was. Hmm. She was just translating the news for me, and then it, when it was not about us anymore, we went and played with the kids. I mean, it really wasn't sure. yep. a big deal. Right. But then three years later, I'm home, and Valerie Plame gets outed because her husband, who was a reporter named Joe Wilson, was reporting that that claim was bullshit. That same thing that I had known was untrue for three years. Right. And so that's when I really sat back and said, wait. I've known and the Germans have known that this isn't true for years and yet they're willing to out a CIA agent in retaliation for this information getting out to the American public. What else don't we know? And so mm. that's when I saw wow. the documentary um, Outfoxed, which really Outfoxed. showed me. Who, who mm -hmm. did that one? I don't remember who produced it, but it was about Fox News. It was really the oh, first okay. thing that was exposing Fox News for being a right-wing propaganda channel, which now is so obvious to all of us. But at the time, it really was a revelation. <laughs> okay. And right. um, when I saw that and I saw the coverage of what people saw here, because I can tell you overseas, and you know this too – it was news, you know, like the day that Tony Blair was testifying to um, Parliament, like everything stopped, you know, we stopped class and we watched right. it and they had it on in bars and that's what everyone yeah. was talking about. And here it was shock and awe and like dun, 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 and like American <laughs> warmongering. <laughs> I remember shock and awe. It was, yeah. it was eerie. 
And I had no idea that it happened for years. I had no idea how different the news here was than what I saw. Mm. And um, so really the reverse culture shock of coming home was the hardest part for me because it made me see the culture I was living in and from a completely different and horrifying light. And (laughs) when I saw that the media was lying to people that way. Yeah. Watching the difference between what I saw in the run-up to the Iraq war in Germany and then coming home and finding out what people saw here is really what exposed me to the fact that the media lies to us um, on a systematic, intentional scale. Yeah, and that that was proof enough for me to think that I wasn't crazy. You know, like I felt crazy (laughs) when I came home and I was like, why, why isn't anyone talking about the war? Why is everyone talking about the movie old school? I'll never forget that where I was just like, don't you guys know what we just did? The rest of the world is talking about it. Why aren't we? And I still feel that way. I mean, we bombed seven countries this year and it's like, no one discusses it. No one acts like it's happening. Um, so I still feel like I live in a different universe, but at least now I'm doing something about it. It's kind of (laughs) Congratulations, my therapy, really. Yeah. Wow. So th- you you really just woke up to this whole thing uh, around 2003. It was it was the Iraq War that changed everything. War. I mean, I had right. this breakup, and I was fleeing that. Before that, I was partying, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, had no purpose, no goals. I mean, it's really that's really no joke. And then when I came back, I felt so disconnected from everybody that I really just kind of people actually asked me if I transferred because I just wasn't hanging out that much. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> but instead what I did is I worked my ass off. I, I, um, interned for the AVP pro beach volleyball tour. So I was, um, working in their operations department and traveling around the country with them. And then every other minute I just dove into my, my schoolwork because I was a communications major and I was able to study the messages in media. So it's like I was studying subtle propaganda and overt propaganda and writing papers on that stuff. And I was so interested in it that it didn't feel like work. I loved my senior year of college. And that's where I feel like, thank God, you know, because I, I paid or my parents paid for my college. And had I not gone to Germany and had that experience, I probably would have just pissed it all away. But I did have that experience. My, my last year there, it was just incredible. Um, I feel like I got a good education and I mean, communications major, that's what I do. (laughs) I communicate for a living. So it it, worked out. out. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing I wanted to point out is that the internet was not that great in 2003. (laughs) No, (laughs) (laughs) you know, people don't get it, but it was still pretty sucky. Uh I mean, like I remember when I moved here, I moved here from England in like August of 2003 and I got hooked up with DSL and I thought woo DSL that was a big deal (laughs) and it totally sucked Mm. oh my god DSL sucked um waiting for pages to load it just just was bad I mean when it was when it worked it was okay but it it just it was off all the time Mm. so anyway yeah that's my rant about sucking (laughs) DSL (laughs) But you know, it well, goes to that, the point that that you were probably having a hard time just staying connected, you know. I I did, and that was the right. thing. I that delayed um, my yeah. true career for years because right, it right. just wasn't technically possible for me to do what I wanted to do. Because when I graduated, I knew I wanted to keep researching. I just right. I wanted to keep doing what I was doing senior year. Um, but it, even if you it, go to the library, you're not really getting a well connected. Not like by today's standards. Well, it sure as hell isn't current. 
Right. You know? Right, right, right. right. Well, even I'm saying if you went and got on the 2003-2004 version of the internet at the library, it was still slow and, you know, the uptake of information was slow. So... Yeah. It, it, well, the best it would, I could do yeah. at the library was the microfilm for newspapers. Oh, geez. So I was okay. really into that. And that updated pretty quickly. So oh, I would wow. just sit there scrolling through newspapers um, for hours and hours and hours. So that was that was my form of the Internet back in 2003 and 2004. Wow. That was the best way for me to do my work. Wow. So you became yeah. like a Woodward Bernstein kind of person. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I wanted I to tell. do. <laughs> I yeah. Tell. I wanted to tell people what was happening, yeah. you know, because yeah. I just felt like the news wasn't doing it. So, right. um, I always had that desire, but podcasting, I mean, there were people that started podcasting in oh, yeah. about that time, 2003, 2004, that was the first but they were tech podcasts. Yeah, exactly. But they were tech geniuses. So it's like, yeah. Adam Curry can start right. a podcast right. in 2004. <laughs> Jen Briney certainly cannot. And at the time, it was still yeah. like it was still really hard to even get WordPress to install. Oh, yeah, it I wasn't mean, like I a one-click install, website. right? Yeah, no, that's and WordPress did exist, but it was it was kind of clunky. Yeah, yeah, I had no, I had no chance at right. that time of doing something <laughs> no on my chance. own. Right? Okay. So the the path that I obviously looked at is like, okay, I want to work at one of these newspapers or on the television. So then I set out to what's the goal? Where do I want to get to? Right. Yeah. So I turned on the television and I was just crossing off like, okay, well, Fox News, I already know they lie. And then I started watching CNN and I was watching Wolf Blitzer for like four hours a day. And just being like, this isn't journalism either. Um, right. And then MSNBC, Rachel Maddow went there eventually. But that was also super partisan. So it was like, eventually I crossed everything off on the television. Mm. Um, the New York Times was responsible for some of the lies that got us into the war. Right. Um, it, it was just the, every single source that I was looking at was like, I don't even know where I want to go. Mm. Um, so from... I got a corporate job that I hated for the health insurance. And then I decided, <laughs> you know, I make more do. money. Yeah, I did that for a year and a half and it sucked out my soul. And so then, and I wasn't even making that much money. And I was like, you know what? I can make more money waiting tables. And I did. So for wow. years, I just kind of dropped out of the universe and said, you know what? What if I just make enough money to live and not try and do anything serious. And so I waited tables. My husband and I traveled in Europe. We moved to Hawaii. Um, wow. I, oh, I Hawaii's great. Forest. Hawaii was awesome. Um, and my jobs there were ridiculous. I mean, that's where I really, <laughs> really wasn't applying myself and had a lot of fun. I worked in a bar and I sent tourists up to timeshare presentations. Oh, so you worked in uh, what? what? Kalakaua? Is that, is that the street? Yes. In Waikiki? Yes. <laughs> Yep. And you flipped out those little, yeah. Ooh, In the I international like marketplace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we always used to fight over the Foster booth, which was right across from Waikiki Beach. Right. And so, um, yeah, you could even Japanese like. Dudes. Yes, there were so many Japanese people. Um, and they couldn't go to the timeshare presentation. So we would literally just be like, don't talk to us. Like, keep going. Right. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't you speak English. You so go. forget it. Yeah, uh, you can't buy property here. So never mind. Yeah, I want to talk to you. So funny. <laughs> yeah, when were you in Hawaii? Um, that was from 2008 to the beginning of 2011. Wow. Oh, yeah. Fun. fun. Yeah, I was there for a while. Where um, did you? What part of the island did you live on? So I lived in Waikiki for two of the years. Okay. 
And then that just got, it was like living at Disneyland. I mean, the tourists just never go away. And, and so then we moved to Kahalu, which most people have never heard of. It's a little bit North of Kaneohe. Okay. Oh, all right. Uh, Windward side side for sure. We lived on like a little hut right on the water. And that's where I picked up paddleboarding, which is still one of my favorite things to do because it was on the bay and, um, I could go basically to Chinaman's hat and back and loved it. I loved paddleboarding. But other than that, that experience was horrible because the Hawaiians around us, we were Howleys. They hated us. They wouldn't talk to us. Wow. Um, it was super isolating. My husband's job wasn't going well. I tried to get a real job there and was, you know, when you're in Hawaii and working in like an office or this wasn't even an office. It was a warehouse. I literally had a centipede fall from the ceiling onto my desk and I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> uh, that whole, you know, oh. It was now it, the windward side. I have a, a creepy, weird story about the windward side. You probably never went to Bellows Air Force Base, but that was yes, I did. Oh, you did. The so, best beach. Yeah. How about? Did you ever see all those slugs? Slugs. Yeah. No. Oh man, I don't know if it must be like a seasonal thing or maybe a day thing, but I was there one day and it was like creepy weird because there were like these gigantic slugs everywhere (laughs) like on the beach or in the tree park on things like signs and tables and like everywhere yeah and we we definitely weirded out (laughs) night of the comet or the zombies are coming next or something easy yeah anyway so huh yeah fun place you had a unique experience it was a good spot yeah, Bellows is one of those places that tourists don't know about. So it was right. one of our sanctuaries. Oh, how did you yeah. get on? I, did they let people on Bellows? Anybody can the get on? The public can go, um, I think like it's just on the weekend. Oh, okay. Just for beach access. Yeah, just for beach. Like, we never went on the actual base, but we just went to the beach there. Oh, and um, okay. no one knew about it. It was I amazing. Even, well, I didn't even know. See, so yeah. I would just drive up to the gate and show my ID, and then I'm on. You know, there's not really a base. It's just a beach. <laughs> It's just a beach and it's super mellow. And, yeah. um, well, and I guess there's that was the thing. we all worked in tourism, but we all had our places where you just don't tell the tourists about. Right. And every once in a while we would meet some cool people and we'd be like, okay, you can come with us. And then we'd yeah. introduce like one or two people, but that we kept some, people that work in tourism in Hawaii. We have some secrets that we keep locked down and <laughs> shit. I just told a bunch of people I'm the worst. Listen, well, look at what I just did. You, know, <laughs> just you don't live there it. anymore. So it's okay. Oh, it's true. Yeah. But I'm going back in June and I don't want a bunch oh. of tourists on my beach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now let's flash forward to we, with the story you started out with. So you find out that this guy sneaks his his uh, mm-hmm. his fat tax whatever you know into this bill that's supposed to be water and energy and something and you freak out right? Yes. By this point, we had left the islands. We were living in Boston. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. My husband had a job, and um, I knew I knew that the technology was there that I could do something online. And I was just trying to figure out what. And that's and when this is I. this 10 now, right? 2010? This is 2011. 11. Okay. Yeah, this is 2011. No, no, no. This was 2012. 2012. I don't okay. know. Sometime around then. 11 or 12. Something. Yeah. No, I launched in 2012. So this had to be December of 2011. Okay. That's when it was. So um, I was. I see this happen. And then 
I was listening to actually the Joe Rogan experience. I love I Joe Rogan. He's awesome. I do too. He's the best. And he was talking to Ari Shafir. They're good friends. And, and Joe at some point says they're talking about politics and he goes, well, you know, they don't read these fucking bills. And I went, well, I know <laughs> they that's not true. They read the fucking bills. No. They don't read the bills. And I said, well, I could read the bills. And so that's when I started looking into the actual bills and going, this is a thing that I could do. And yeah. this could be my shtick for these first two years. Like, I don't know anything about Congress, but I would learn. So I'll just read the bills for the first two years. And so that's, that's what I did. And, um, you know, I often thought, what format do, do you look at the bills in? Well, that's like changed PDF over time, too. Or HTML or That's Word. changed over time. Now I'm using an, a website called govtrack.us yeah. because what GovTrack allows me to do, and I've, I've met the guy that, that owns and operates it, Josh. We, um, we had dinner in um, Washington, D.C., and so I understand how Josh gets the information. He gets it directly. He has like an API directly from the government. So there's wow. no way that it's, yeah, it's, he nice. doesn't, it's just, it updates itself. And so and I know that because he's media or something or he's just it's super smart hookup. Yeah. The, the government actually has amazing resources for us to get information. Yeah. You, you just, just have, have to go know and get it. Yeah. You have to know where they are and how to use them. Right. And Josh does. And so he okay. created this amazing and resource. You know Josh. <laughs> and you know Josh. I do know Josh now, and yes. I feel very blessed to know Josh. He's a great do- dude. And he, um, and the website that he created allows me to not only link to the bills, but to the provisions in the bills. And so when I read them, I outline them and I link to each thing because, you know, I'm just a person. I did take business law in college, so I know how to read this stuff, right. but I'm not a lawyer. So right. I do link to the provisions. So it's like, if you don't believe what I'm saying, look at it yourself, right. you know? Right. And if, right. if I'm wrong, tell me and I'll admit it on the air. I've admitted so many things on the air that I was right. wrong about. Sure. Um, but that's why I do that because I want people to be able to check my work because I trust no one and mm. I don't think people well, should you, trust me. You are doing fact checking yourself, but you don't know if you're right all the time, right? Like, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the hardest part. So, yeah. um, and it takes so much time to do the show notes, but I think they're the most important thing that I do because it backs up everything that I say. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's show what I'm using is right now. So important for the show notes. Um, but my thought was because I was in. You remember this is sort of a tangential story here, but you remember when? Let's see here. Somebody in industry, I want to say like Exxon or some company, right, got in trouble. Uh, after there was like this big accident on an oil rig in off of Florida, I think. And the company got in trouble because their safety plan had a bunch of boilerplate document type stuff in it that was copied and pasted and included stuff that was irrelevant, right? And yeah. as a government sort of used to be guy, right? I totally know how that happened. <laughs> because yeah. when you when you start a new one and you're getting yelled at to do a new plan, you you use the old one. And yeah. then you start copying and pasting things. And most of it is just you're skipping over. You're not reading it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of easy for things to get missed, you know. Mm-hmm. So when there's totally stupid stuff in there you have to have so many sets of eyes on these gigantic documents to make Mm -hmm. sure that all the stupid stuff is removed but it also made me think that you could probably come up with some sort of automated heuristic system that would look for the most recent edits Mm -hmm. if you got the word document 
You know what I'm talking about? You know how? Uh, yeah, you yeah. can like compare them. Josh's right. website does that. You yeah. can compare bills side by side. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that would, I just, what, what I'm trying to think of is, is, is ways of making your reading job like faster and easier. Well, that's just gotten easier over time okay. because yeah, I because know what brain, I'm looking at. Right, right. Yeah, it's the language is intimidating until you realize that like 90% of the words are unnecessary. Right. <laughs> right. They really, you, right, right. you just, and that's the thing too. So many of these bills, they're laying out what the funding is in paragraph form. So now I know like where to find the charts. So it's like for a government funding law, they write out what all the funding is, where if you just go to the explanatory statement, that's where you find the charts with all those numbers. So out of a 2000 page bill, probably a thousand need, of it, I don't even have to read what I'm yeah, I'm just kind of scanning it to make <laughs> right. sure that nothing was slipped in and nothing was weird. And then you read the general provisions. And that's where things get, get executive weird. Executive summaries are, are everybody's friend. Well, summaries are written by um, aides to political people. And right. so what I have found is like the summaries can help me sometimes because you'll – You'll look at something, you'll say, this section does this. And it's like, well, I don't really trust that. And you look at the section. But the truth is that if they want to hide something, that's it's easy to do. Because that's what the congressmen are reading. They're reading the summaries that are prepared right. by staff. And so right. that is how some things become Gets law that in. they don't know about. Uh, yes, yeah, so you have to look at the bell itself. There's no, no, no way no, around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, have to, you have to at least do some sort of scan. I mean, mm-hmm. not reading verbatim, good God. That would kill you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, no, I've actually, that's actually what I do most of the time is I just read the actual wow. bill and I use the wow. rest of the stuff prepared as explanations for what I'm reading. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm going straight to the actual text and I'm looking up the old law and comparing it to the new one. And, okay. and every year as I learn how Congress functions in reality, because how it's supposed to function and how it actually does function are completely. two completely different yeah, things. Yeah, now I'm learning which bills are likely to become law, which ones I need to watch out for, which ones I can ignore. Um, so I'm getting better at it. Like one of the things that I've done over the past few years that I've now realized is really stupid is, um, I'm trying to get ahead of bills so that people can act on them. Okay. And I just don't think that that's useful anymore because first of all, my audience isn't that big to where we're going to stop a bill. Although I don't know. I do think it's possible if every single person that I talk to calls their representative, but still what I'm, what I'm finding is that I need to read the things that I know are going to become law and read those in excruciating detail. So for instance, mm. we're going to have a government funding law. I expect it to be approximately 2000 pages that'll be passed between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they pass a lot of stuff all at once, kind of hoping that we'll never look at it. And so what I need to do is take the two months that it's going to take to get through that and give my time to that as opposed to the little bills that they start passing in the the new Congress. So it's like every time I do this, I'm realizing what's important and what isn't mm. where when I started this four years ago, I was just reading everything. Right, so right, I'm right. also, my filter is getting better. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm really going to be good at this for another five or six years. <laughs> I think 10 years wow. in, I'm really going to get my groove, but right. I'm learning so much and getting so much better at it year after year. Wow. And I think that's why the show is growing. Cause I can tell you, I'm, I'm so embarrassed by the first Congress, <laughs> those, those shows and people go but, back and they know, listen you, to all of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, why are you doing that? Like, that's not even the current Congress, but they are. Right. Um, but I'm getting so much better at it. So that's practice okay. makes perfect. You know, if you're not ashamed of, of your, of your, your original or your first oh. 
effort right, then you're not doing it right. That's so. We've all got that crap out there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning that too. I'm yeah. learning that too. We're all embarrassed of our original work. And exactly. that's the thing. So many people, like the new podcasters, they'll ask me like, you know, how did you know it was time to launch? And I was like, I just launched. Yeah. Like you, there wasn't a time. No. I just did. You know, I had a completely different show when we met and then I, I realized really? how shitty it was. Yes. It was called Dink <laughs> Lifestyle Business and it was really, really dumb. I mean, it was essentially the same show. I was doing the same show. I would just, you know, talk to people about their lives. Dual Income, No Kids? Yeah, it was called Dual Income, No Kids. That's why I couldn't remember your show. I remember the dink. Okay. Yeah. This makes more sense. Now you know who I was then. Yes. Well, I mean, I remembered your face, but I was like, I can't remember what show he had. Right. Right. Yeah. The the end of that year, the end of 14, I, I realized that I just needed to do everything over again. And not really change what I wanted to do on the show per se, but just rebrand everything. So oh. that's what I did. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're it's still good. Cut out again. Okay. It did cut out. Yeah, it was weird. I just kept talking. It worked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before we uh, we wrap up, because we're just over an hour. Wow, it went quick. Um, have you ever read uh, Forty Eight Laws of Power by Robert no. Greene? Uh, put it on your list. I think you might like it. Well, I, I have know. a lot of, you, you, I have a lot of books. Bu- you've got a lot of reading to do. I get that. But I do. My, my listeners keep sending me books and they're all things that I'm asking for and I don't have time to read them where I'm reading no, the bills. No, so that's another thing. Like This is a really fun <laughs> book because it talks about power um, as, you know, from the point of view of somebody that is like totally amoral and unethical. <laughs> right? And so well, I don't know if... The author is totally amoral and unethical and just will do anything for power's sake. Um, but he takes on that persona as he's writing this book. Oh, how funny. I think we have some of those in government. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just a real fascinating read because he basically looks at different powerful people throughout history and then he uses their stories to sort of like glean out these laws of power mm. oh that is interesting it's amazing <laughs> yeah it would help me realize what we're dealing with because that that's another thing that i'm excited about for january is that i started this in the middle of an administration right. so i knew what we were dealing with but mm. congress is the only power on earth that is strong enough to combat a president you right. know like there's really the president him. of the united they can impeach him. They can um, bring his entire, you know, staff, all the agencies in for hearings. They have the right. power of investigations. I mean, Congress is the only power strong enough. And I don't care who's the president, whether it's Trump or Hillary. They're both extremely dangerous people for their own right. reasons. Right. And so, <laughs> so this true. is going to be a new experience for me because I feel like we need to use our Congress now. Like Obama, right. for all his faults, I wasn't too afraid of him. Right. Um, this is we're going to battle now. So I feel like I had my four years of practice and now it's right. go time. You know, um, yeah. e- I want to either s- way. It's going to be interesting. It's definitely oh, I'm excited be so to have a show. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great for my show because I'm going to oh, yeah. no matter what happens, these hearings are going to be amazing, which is another reason why I'm kind of looking at a, a, a switch because the hearings are just the best. They're the best. That's so where you, you wanna that's get, where people yell at each other. Switch, and, you want to pay more attention to hearings or you're going to have a different show or 
What's I want to do more episodes right now. I can only do two a month and they're okay. both really research intensive and right. I'm finding that I'm just, I'm it's still exhausting. working right. 50 to 60 hours a week. And I, I can't keep doing that. But when I watch a hearing, I can turn around a hearing episode in about three to four days. Okay. So, um, depending on how long it is, cause sometimes they're three days long, right. but, um, but that's a way for me to produce more content while Understood. doing the research intensive episodes. And uh, also just people need to be watching these things and they don't have time to watch four and five hour hearings. There is a lot of fluff in the middle that does sure. not need to be watched. And right. so I'm just cutting all that crap out. And, right. um, and people are loving those, those few episodes that I've done. So I just want to do more of those and, um, and just try and make this show more sustainable. So, um, the investigative power of Congress is something that's really dawned on me in the last year or so. And I was like, this is something that needs to have some attention drawn on it too. But that's the problem. We need people reading the bills. We need people watching the hearings. I mean, there needs to be 15 congressional dishes and I can only do <laughs> so You're, much, you, you need, know, you need about a hundred clones. I do. And I keep telling people like, copy me. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> this show is working. Like just copy me. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. So. Well, you need, you need like an army of followers that are volunteering the, uh, in the cause. People don't want to do the work. They yeah. just, they don't, they, they're right. willing to pay me, um, wow. which is awesome. Right. And I'm hopeful that in the next few years I can have some more people. But right now, um, there's the copycats just aren't coming yet because it, it's a ton of work. Like I said, it's 50 it's, to 60 hours a week. It's enormous insane. amounts of labor. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's a good idea. So good ideas, you know, if, uh, if they hang around long enough, people will find it. You know. Well, and the thing for me personally, as like a, you know, businesswoman or whatever, right. Is that it's 50 to six hours, 60 hours of stuff that fascinates me. Sure. So, so it's fun. It's not that, painful. I know right. that I can't keep it up, but it's exhausting, but interesting. Exactly. And I'm still in my first five years. I'm still in the, you know, the, the building phase of this thing and it's, I'm putting in my dues and I get that. But if I was doing 50 to 60 hours of work for someone else, then I'd be pretty miserable. I'm not miserable with that amount right. of work. So it's right, fine right, for right. me. Right. Um, but growing the show at this point, it's just, that's the struggle. So much information gets by me that I want to get out there, but mm. I have to pick, I have yes. to pick, I have to filter somehow. And that's, that's the part that kills me. I want to tell people everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, okay. So we, we have to wrap it up. Um, you are Jen Briney cause you're salty and yep. you are at congressionaldish.com. Uh, and folks can contact you there, Jen at congressionaldish.com, uh, and at Twitter at Jen Briney without Thank the salt. You covered it all. I yes. got it all. Cool. This has been a blast. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I'm going to have to, we'll have to uh, party again at another podcast deal. And uh, podcast movement, Anaheim, and, August 23rd through 25th. So not so, too far from where you live. Yes. I think I might go. You because should. Because it's in Anaheim, and that's close. It's close. Yes. And it's And you'll be it's there, fun. so I know I'll have fun. 
Yeah, you'll have a friend. I've already scoped out a good happy hour, so Sweet. we're ready. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll sing some uh, Linda Ronstadt tunes. No, that's not you. Perfect. Somebody else. <laughs> oh, no, I'm all about the karaoke. Well, that's the thing. The podcast movement you didn't come to last year, yeah. I ended up grabbing a group of people, and we went to Howl at the Moon and sang ourselves Woo! stupid. We Yay! all had no voices the next day. Oh, it was so much awesome. fun. Oh, so, see, I'm missing yeah. out on all the fun. Come for the podcasting. Stay for the party. Yeah. It's fun. Cool. All right. You have a good one. Thanks. You too. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.